Live from the home office of Ag Solutions Network, it's the Ag Emerge Podcast. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soils, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. We're excited to be visiting today with Dave Williams. Dave is the Chief Commercial Officer at Calcom Energy, and he works on the executive team to implement Calcom's strategic vision of being a leader in sustainable energy technology and financing solutions for agriculture and water. Dave's team provides technical and financial solutions to save customers money and maximize returns. One of the exciting things is Dave was selected as one of Time Magazine's Innovators of the Year for his work on cool heat transfer. And he's been a technical solar advisor for the U.S. State Department, merit reviewer of the U.S. Department of Energy Sunshot Program, and many other uh, areas where he has focused. So we're excited to be joined with Dave today. But Monty and I thought we'd just take a moment to talk a little bit about what we're going to be talking about and uh, just elaborate a little bit on uh, what direction we're going today. All right, Kim. Well, thank you. Um, Dave attended Ag Emerge last year, so he got to see it firsthand for himself mm-hmm. and he attended it as a ag tech entrepreneur and uh, in the audience. Didn't, didn't pitch. He just was, was in attendance. And then uh, he applied to speak this year, which uh, we've had a few people apply to speak and, and that's what we want to do is create a way for people with great ideas and, and um, great paradigm-shifting uh, mindsets to be able to come and present at our meeting. So um, we're excited to have him here on for today's podcast and just learn a little bit about really um, on-farm energy 2.0, mm-hmm. I, I would call it. You know, initially we were putting in generation stations in order to help offset peak power or to help offset some of the cost. But Dave and his company has a different way of looking into that, not as a cost offset, but as a profit center and how to maximize that profit center and really look at energy in a totally different way. And that's going to be really important because eventually we're going to get to energy 3.0, which is going to really shift the paradigm in how we consume energy on farm. So instead of bringing in energy as electricity and bringing in energy as diesel fuel, that diesel fuel component is going to be replaced by electricity. And how is that going to happen with an outdated grid system that has, you know, service interruptions requiring a lot more horsepower to be delivered through it? So I'm pretty excited about uh, where Dave's at and the uh, uh, things that he's going to share with us here today. I like uh, kind of to touch on what you talked about, that, and you've said this before, you can't save your way into profitability. And so I think about that as we talk about this whole new energy thing is, yes, there is a cost savings. It sounds as mm-hmm. though there will be some opportunities there, but it's more about uh, all of the other features that it's going to deliver that really make it exciting to uh, understand. Yeah, the, the economy's changing from something where we buy this asset to generate us this return on our investment, and that's the way it's, it's always been. But sometimes when we buy an asset, <clears throat> let's take, for example, a harvester. You know, 
maybe you buy a harvester that you only use for the harvesting period. But, you know, better asset utilization is if we can have that harvester in other regions of the country running a longer period of time to where we get better asset utilization because what happens is is they they sometimes can rust out before they wear out. Mm -hmm. So in that case, depreciation kills us versus maintenance and and, um, just obsolescence. So in that same way, if we can look at, rather than us being the people who purchase uh, the solar uh, farm install, allowing someone else to purchase that for us, utilize our land, partner with them to be able to create even more energy savings than we could have done it by ourselves, and with them putting together uh, people over multiple locations, being able to leverage that in volume, now we've got something. So, I mean, it's very similar to why we go together as farmers in a cooperative to sell um, milk or nuts or other perishable things or, or why we go together in a buying cooperative, you know, to provide products and services that we couldn't get as individuals. So it's a very similar, that kind of concept, but let's look at that from an energy standpoint, which we've just kind of always taken for granted because it's just there, but it's more and more regulations more and more uh, increasing in costs. So it's time to take another look at that, and especially as we get into electrification of the farm, um, the next generation electrification of the farm where the vehicles are electrified. Yeah, I, th- I just, I'm excited about that, and I love how uh, this whole discussion really provides that paradigm shift. We are really rethinking how we can utilize all of this solar opportunity. And I think it's a neat thing because we, we spend a lot of time talking about the biological side of solar uh, and how what the impacts of it and trying to capture all of that solar. And so to capture it for the purpose of powering a vehicle or um, the farm itself, uh, I just think that's that's a, a great thing to be talking about. So. Yep. Well, I sure hope you enjoy uh, today's uh, edition of uh, Ag Emerge Podcast as we talk here with Dave Williams. Well, welcome everyone to this edition of the Ag Emerge Podcast. Uh, we're lucky to be joined by Dave Williams today. And Dave has uh, not only been to Ag Emerge, but this year he's going to present at Ag Emerge. And he's got a really interesting background and in, in what he's doing in an emerging technology sector that's definitely going to affect agriculture in the future. So without any further ado, Dave, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. I'm glad you could join us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be going back to Ag Emerge this year. That's awesome. So Dave, you reside out in the Bay Area and and uh, you've got a lot of things to do with technology, but before we get into those um, uh, areas, just fill us in a little bit. Tell us about your your background, your story, um, kind of who made, what made you who you are, and and where you've gotten to today. Sure. Yeah. No. I'm um, Dave Williams, and I'm from Kentucky. I've got a degree in mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech, and then moved out actually to the Bay Area to work in the oil and gas business, and then. After a few years of that, slowly moved into doing work for the solar sector. And so I did that for the last about 15 years, and then have in the last two or three years uh, working almost exclusively in agriculture energy. And a lot of that's been solar, but been really exciting to kind of make that transition and use those skills in in a different place. So you've been in energy for a long time. It's just a matter of what that source of energy is, whether it's a... Prehistoric solar reaction or a modern day <laughs> solar reaction, huh? 
That's right. Yeah. No, I've been in uh, all forms of energy, worked a lot internationally and worked with like the National Renewable Energy Lab and um, some of the private labs as well. So, yeah, I've been trying to keep pretty technical on the energy side. Well, and the farmers that we work with and, and, and get to help coach, uh, they're in the energy sector too. They just don't normally think of it. It's just our solar panels are green instead of uh, uh, black and silicon, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all about man- managing uh, energy capture and distribution and, and efficient use of that energy. So there's been a tremendous amount of change in the last 10 years, hasn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, agriculture uses about 1% of the total energy for the, the U.S. And you know, running tractors, running machinery. And I think, like you said, I, it, because one of the things I really learned at Ag Emerge last year is that to be in agriculture really need, means you have to be an expert in so many different fields, botany and horticulture and animal husbandry, but you also have to be an expert in energy and energy markets and global energy trends and the volatility of those markets. Mm-hmm. Now, 1% of total energy consumption, is that for including um, fertilizer inputs too and, and those type of input side, or is that more on the operational side on energy? I think that's more on the operational side. Yeah, I think those indirect energy makes that number a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, in that, and I think that includes everything. That's all kind of forms of energy, not just electricity. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about your business, Dave. So, yeah, our business has been focused on the really working on the economic side with our customers around energy. And as you know, we've talked about previously, like the energy markets themselves are kind of buying from the utility is changing. And the the landscape of who the utilities are and the services they provide are changing. The complexity of the bills are getting more complex. And then kind of the ancillary energy markets that surround all of that is getting so much more complex. So we've really tried to stay focused in agriculture. So our belief is that we can essentially form a utility, but with a real single uh, vertical alignment. So we're really trying to understand agriculture and our ability to do that allows us to be really take care of those customers. Okay. So unpack that for us just a little bit, Dave, as far as what, what you're looking at there is, you know, some, when I initially visit with you, I'm like, oh, okay, a, a solar company. Yep, I'm familiar with that and how that works. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I know that that can uh, do great things to offset costs or, or help, uh, you know, with peak energy type of um, issues that we have in, in California. And oh, it depends on how they're doing their billing. Like you said, it kind of changes from day to day. Um, and whether or not they decide to shut you off or whenever they want and those kind of things. But uh, talk a little bit more about how you, you, where you started with that, uh, the base level, um, working with farmers to help generate their own solutions and, and moving that more into the value chain uh, and to help recover more of that value that's been created. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think like we talked before, farmers are generally pretty early adopters of technologies that work. And I think solar has been a primary part of our business because it works. And there's a kind of, I think everybody likes the idea of having it behind the farm gate and really understanding how the technology works and having some control over your energy in a world where you really don't have much when there's only one, you know, in our case, one or two sellers and you kind of have to buy at whatever price they're selling. So for us, it really starts with understanding that who the customer is and what do they use that energy for today and where are they going tomorrow? But fundamentally, just look at, 
what rates, what bills did our customers get? Are they being appropriately billed? And we found a lot of opportunities where the, the utilities may not have always understood what's going on and they, the customers aren't being billed appropriately or they're on the wrong tariff. That's kind of the first piece. And then looking at where there are opportunities to generate your own electricity. And then from there, all this new market started to happen at what we've been calling the transactive grid, where customers are going to be able to participate in the market and not just be consumers in the market. So we're doing that now with several of our customers on uh, capacity programs where we're selling energy capacity into the market or the renewable energy credit programs or certificates. We're looking at opportunities where we can turn those into other markets like the low carbon fuel standard credit market in California, which is really valuable. So really kind of rethinking that the energy structure in agriculture really is an asset to the grid at large, not just the necessary evil of getting the business done. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, you're trying to look for those higher value opportunities versus just offsetting meter um, you know, generation to where you can uh, sell it as green energy or, or carbon beneficial energy. Absolutely. Uh, more of a premium than just, you know, rolling back uh, standard consumption levels. Yeah. And I think you're bringing up a really good point here. This, there's a big difference between saving money and making money. And so these new ancillary markets, because agriculture is such a large user, and particularly we work pretty much exclusively in the Central Valley, most of the energy is consumed in agriculture that tends to follow in pretty consistent patterns, depending on what your line of business are. So processors and packers their energy consumption looks pretty similar across the industry, whereas row crops and tree crops, they look similar to each other, but they're also very cyclical. So what we've been kind of tasked ourselves with is figuring out how to understand that energy consumption and then where are there opportunities to make money in those energy markets. So the capacity market's a good example where it looks a lot like demand response where you're being paid to turn off, but you're really being paid for the grid to know that you're available. And that's really changes the dynamic and actually helps our growers and farmers be a part of the energy market and not just consumers. Correct. So when you've got those, um, you know, high demand areas or high demand times, you can turn around and say, hey, I can supply you right now when you need it the most. That's right. So um, before I jump into the future uh, a little bit of where all this is leading to and, and the future of, you know, renewables and, and those kind of things, uh, what else do you see that's happening today um, in, uh, I mean, people continue to install systems and it, it keeps expanding. It's at a steady rate, I'd assume, even though that, even though that the tax credits have, have, I, I think, and, you know, I may be misspeaking here, but the tax credits kind of continue to decrease over time, but also isn't the, the cost of the um, installs decreasing over time is just more and more efficiencies are made in manufacturing. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. So we're seeing the first step down in the investment tax credit at the end of this year. So we are seeing a lot of customers move to it to put their own money to work. One of the interesting things I think that we've seen in agriculture, generally, there's been a reluctance to borrow money. Um, you know, taking on bank debt's got a lot of negative impacts on the rest of the business. And we've seen customers, um, because times have been somewhat volatile, may not have the tax appetite that they've had in, in years past. So we're seeing more and more customers move to these power purchase agreement arrangements where they're essentially they're only paying for the energy they consume from that solar array and not having to put any money in. 
And I think that there's a such a it's a been a relatively small nuance that our customers have started to gain the understanding that that's not really financing it, that they're really getting a service and not actually borrowing money from someone or collateralizing the farm or other equipment. That so I think one of the big trends that we're seeing that has happened in other industries, but it's specific to agriculture, we're seeing a lot more customers move to these power purchase style arrangements. Mm -hmm. So that's where they're not buying the and in doing the uh, all, all of the infrastructure and and spending millions of dollars for a large system, where they're they're allowing going onto a contract basis um, uh, and, and with you and say, hey, we'll come in and we'll we'll do this, we'll manage it and everything, and and provide you power as needed. But then we're gonna we're gonna use this opportunity to uh, flex this energy into the market and trying to get the highest value out of the energy that we, that you're creating on your farm on your behalf. Is that is that that's a exactly right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, I think you know what we're seeing that not only does it, we have the opportunity to do that, but because we don't have the the well the complexity or the of, of having a big utility, we can offer it at a really low rate, which. Right. I think offers kind of where we think things are going. We, we were lucky enough to announce a $100 million facility last week that's focused on agriculture energy infrastructure. Mm -hmm. That last word such an important one that it's not a solar fund. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe there will be a lot of solar involved because I think it makes a lot of sense for a lot of those customers. But what it really allows is that it, we're looking at the money that farmers are already spending on electricity bills. How do we use that same cash um, on numbers that everyone understands to make them more certain and make increase the level of service? So through what we're offering now is not just we can sell you electricity cheaper than you can buy it from somewhere else, but a real long-term partnership where we can put in other energy infrastructure that meets your needs today. And, and as we see the electrification of farming coming very, very quickly, it'll meet those needs in the future too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a farmer's got... What, what he or she is doing to produce a crop and got a lot of uh, attention paid to inputs, a lot of attention paid to uh, their marketing plan, whether it's almonds with their processor or, or dairy and trying to understand what the commodity prices are going to do, all those kind of um, crops. I mean, the farmer's got a lot going on to where if he had, let's say, even had a sizable 10-acre install for a single farm. Mm -hmm. There's still not enough um, bandwidth there or enough volume production for him to go out and be looking at bidding the electric markets, just having another, you know, hat on his head <laughs> to take right. care of, right? So what you're saying is by, by taking this, um, uh, you know, 10 acres from farmer A, B, C, D, and E, and F, mm -hmm. now we've got enough, um, total, uh, megawatts production that we can flex those around and we can justify having, you know, people full time staring at computer screens and graphs and demand loads and saying, Hey, shift this here, shift that there and making those split second decisions that are needed because, you know, even though milk might be something that goes bad, uh, in a very short period of time, energy goes bad in seconds, doesn't it? <laughs> probably, yeah. probably the shortest shelf life of anything that we produce, isn't it? That's uh, yeah, that's right. So energy can't be stored anywhere on the grid. So every kilowatt hour that or every electron yeah. that's being produced yeah. has to yeah. be consumed in the in real time, <laughs> instantaneously. Right. Yeah. yeah, yet on the can't be stored anywhere, Dave. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think people feverishly working on the on the storage capabilities of energy. So that's right. Yeah, we have some energy storage, but 
that you know the way the grid generally works is all those all that energy being produced has to be balanced in real time right and and i think yeah you're bringing up a great point that what is good for an individual farmer is actually good for that community because the grids themselves are less stable than they have been in the past because we're mm -hmm. consuming more wildfire right. mitigation is a is a real thing we're seeing outages now in potentially days in california um and that the combination of those and the utility itself under financial stress means that you know a lot of the infrastructure is not being built as fast as it once was and that if the infrastructure is being distributed on farms in a dense area what your neighbor does actually makes it better for you correct because rather than having these a uh, very centralized system we're, we're moving uh, i mean the future really looks moving to more uh on-site or micro um what do i want to say micro uh, grids instead of uh, these massive grids where we have, you know, one nuclear plant that can supply for multiple states. Absolutely. Uh, is, is that what you see happening out there? Yeah. So I think we're seeing that in pretty much every industry, this kind of distributed infrastructure or decentralizing is happening across most things. And the benefit now that we have the computing power to actually make that work is that if we're all producing a little bit of energy at our homes, then the grid itself doesn't have to be nearly as strong as like your example of building a big nuclear plant and then having to push that out across you know thousands of miles and and lots of distribution and transmission infrastructure so we've really met that maximum of the whatever 40 50 year old grid uh, when when most of that was done we, we, we've hit capacity there so to supplement the additional capacity we need to have almost point of use generation um, for for that peak demand or 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 demand above and beyond what the original um, major portions of the grid were designed for, absolutely. Is that what you're saying okay. well, and the grid itself was designed for a different world. You know, we're looking at more electric vehicles, and uh, the computers and our phones are essentially counting electrons when they charge. Whereas 50 years ago, we were looking at a much more power didn't need to be nearly as clean and as available as it is today and so and tomorrow is going to be changing even faster so we we think that not only you know this is a way to help supplement the grid and keep the costs down but we're actually getting better cleaner power more locally so bottom line now for a farmer uh, that you're working with what is what is his uh, biggest benefits that he he gains out of working with uh, a company such as yours where you're, you're, you're integrating a lot of things versus just, okay, go out and let's, let's put a grid on my, my farm. Kind of what was, let's say, um, solar 1.0, you know, mm -hmm. uh, out and put in yeah. some panels that turn the meter backwards. What, what, what are the, the real value points that, uh, that you bring to the table for them? Yeah. And I think the first one is really getting to know the business because we're only in agriculture. We really understand how customers use their electricity. And although it sounds like a pretty modest place to get started, it really dramatically changes how those customers engage with electricity. So we're finding a lot of customers coming to us now, especially out here in California, where we do a lot of uh, pumping and irrigation pumping from on-site wells. Our customers are like, hey, how do I understand how much it costs for me to pump my groundwater versus pump surface water that I'm getting in a canal? And if I blend them, what's the cost of doing that? Well, as you know, it, it's not a simple answer. It, it really depends on when you do it. 
and how much you do at the same time and what meter those are on and what tariffs those meters then happen to be on. So we think that fundamentally really understanding what or how our customers engage with energy allows us to help them do their business cheaper. The second piece, I think, is that we're able to offer customers a really significant savings on their per kilowatt hour charge. And then finally, is we think that we can take that savings and help invest in the business. So some of the products I saw at Ag Emerge last year or what we're seeing kind of come out of the ag tech community are really struggling to find that project finance to help them get installed. In the energy space, we see the opportunity is to take those kind of power purchase relationships that go on for decades from that partnership and then provide those new technology and services to the farmer. So they're paying less and getting more. And, and the more that you can develop your share of market and the volume of throughput, then you can still be relevant compared to just a farmer doing their own install. That remains the same, but then your ability to leverage the sales of the electricity and the energy use efficiency to the farmer continues to grow to where you can offer more and more products and services to, it's a snowballing effect, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then that benefiting of the whole community. And so as more and more strength comes through agriculture, making these kind of behind the farm gate infrastructure investments, the whole grid in that community is now more stable. So it provides better quality power, but it also brings the price down because a lot of what we pay for in our bills is those transmission and distribution charges that are expensive because balancing the grid, there's not a lot of control of how the end customer uses that electricity from the utilities perspective. But since we're providing that to those customers, not only are we bringing the cost down for them, but all the neighbors do. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, let's talk a little more about the future. Yes. Um, you, you made a hint there, uh, Dave, about the electrification of vehicles and, and those kind of things. Um, that, uh, you know, that so far has been kind of neat. And, you know, you see some Teslas on the road and, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's some penetration going on there. But talk a little bit about what are some of those drivers behind that, maybe more than just the air quality regulations, but what do you see as some of those drivers behind electrification of vehicles on road? And then after that, we'll talk about off road. Yeah, so I, I think things are happening rapidly and, and probably in a way that's even hard to, to see, you know, like you said, from like the Tesla example. There's a couple of really interesting things I think about the electric car itself is that from what we just described, the electric car, although the EV is allowing you to do what you normally do and get around town, it's now also a grid asset because it's a battery that can that moves around. And so I think we're going to start to see on the on-road for transportation, but really as we're starting to see the big companies, the, the big breweries, the big uh, transportation food processing companies are moving to an EV fleet not for environmental reasons, but for all the other reasons that come with it, their ability to play, also play in the markets. And so when that car is not moving, it's providing other energy cell or energy storage services because it's a really efficient battery that now is a grid asset. Which last year, you know, when uh, Jonathan Lamb pitched there with uh, OptoV, that, that was kind mm-hmm. of his idea is that, okay, off-road equipment's going to be electrified in the future. Yes. And especially when you think of a delivery vehicle, okay, it's out and about during daylight hours, right? And then it, it 16 hours, it's sitting on a charging station. And yes, it could buy and sell energy, you know, from the grid based on, you know, peaks and valleys. But the bad part is those peaks and valleys are, you know, not during typically the peak demand, mm-hmm. you know, 
time, which is when everybody's working, you know, uh, eight to five range or later in the day range. So one of the things about electrification of off-road vehicles, it's very, very interesting is that yes, especially in the Midwest, we use them hard for, you know, three to four weeks in the spring and eight weeks in the fall. And then the rest of the year, they're kind of sitting in the shed, taking up shed space, you know, mm-hmm. not so much like California, you know, back, back East, uh, we put 400, maybe 600 hours a year on a vehicle at the most, mm-hmm. you know, California will put, um, you know, a thousand hours, uh, to 2000 on some of these, uh, vehicles cause they're running all the time, but talk a little bit about, um, that on the off-road market and how that could play in even bigger than, uh, um, you know, highway market for the, the surge or battery storage potential. Absolutely. So I think one of the, the, the hard parts here is like, as you said, that on the off-road, off-road piece, we've seen, I think John Deere has an EV tractor that has been, uh, it's it been in production, but it's more, has, as you kind of described, it's been a little bit of a novelty. Um, but as we've looked at the other sectors like mining, we've seen companies like Caterpillar start to develop autonomous EV equipment because it's, you know, in mining, it can mine 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And that that autonomy piece allows it to function. And the EV allows, it's not, doesn't need to move very fast and it can move back and forth between charging and production. What I think that we haven't as a, a kind of a group really started to fully understand is the power of how fast that transition needs to happen. And that on the EV infrastructure side of how do you charge all this equipment? Well, yeah, that's not been totally well understood of how we're going to make sure that every farm's capable of charging, you know, this equipment because we're talking about relatively large horsepower equipment. But the piece that is really going to trans is transformative and is already here is that programs like in California we have the low carbon fuel standard credit and there are similar programs around the nation that is trying to move the fleet onto EVs for a variety of reasons because of the electrification thing, but. What we have today in California is you can be paid to charge your tractor and not buy diesel. And the impact of that's pretty tremendous. And that not only are you not buying diesel because it's got the volatility of it and the safety concerns of handling diesel and making sure you've got secondary containment and making sure that, especially in places where those, that equipment's sitting for long periods of time, where it's cold and it's hot, that they're being well looked after and you're not seeing the environmental consequence of that. But today, we're in a market where you could be paid to charge those tractors because of those low-carbon fuel standards. So I think we will see massive adoption extremely quickly, much quicker than I think even the manufacturers are understand because of that ability to take out the volatility and actually get paid to run your tractor. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. It, it's an interesting concept because we always think of we've been bringing energy onto the farm in a semi, right? We're bringing in... Mm-hmm whatever, six, 8,000 gallons of diesel at a time. And then we're using that energy in, in that form. And it's really just a cost, you know, where the, the EV, uh, it can be when it's not moving and generating income for farm production practices, it has potential to be generating income through, you know, uh, surge demand, uh, you know, charge, discharge uh, type of things. And, and I'm sure, you know, farmers got complete customization of, Hey, I, I want to make sure that by, you know, 7 a.m. that tractor is at 100 yeah. percent and the computer can, you know, automatically say, OK, well, we're going to charge between 6 to 7 a.m. to get it up to 100 percent because, you know, boy, at 5 a.m. we really need that power off the, you know, from that battery because some other place is starting up something. 
So, I mean, it's just, um, it's just kind of mind boggling to think that a tractor can make you money sitting still. That's right. And in this case, it's going to make you money, make you money and in place of buying diesel. So you really are getting the benefit of not spending money and getting paid. Yeah. But we're all going to miss out on the smell of diesel fumes in the shop. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) What are we going to do if we can't breathe in that PM 2.5? I mean, (laughs) gosh, you know, uh, we fire up stuff, uh, you know, and I, I'll walk in. I'm like, man, guys, what are you, what are you doing? And like, oh, we can't even smell it, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as always, you know, the making money when you're burning diesel. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. But, uh, no, it's a, I think that's a unique opportunity. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting once we get to electrification of the vehicle is I think a lot of other things in the vehicle get to change too, because, you know, now we've got a lot of systems over top of systems. Um, where, you know, a hydraulic system, for example, we're taking a diesel engine to drive a pump in order for that pump to pump oil through a valve set in order mm-hmm. for, to deliver to a cylinder, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, some friends of mine, with you know, and Turzo was there last year. I don't know if you had a chance to visit with him, Mike uh, Turzo, mm-hmm. but uh, they're going to a hydraulics convention this week, and they've got a electric motor with a pump mounted to a cylinder. So all you got to do is instead of just add water, just add electricity. And now you just add electricity and you have a working cylinder uh, that has all the characteristics of a hydraulic cylinder. And, um, you know, I think you, you get the electrification on a vehicle. I think everything will change in there. Don't you? Absolutely. And then you like all of what you just mentioned all needs to be maintained. And so not only do you have the complexity of putting the mechanics together to make it work, the, in an electric motor setting, you really kind of take out a lot of those serpentine belts and things that make oh, those uh, things work. Belt changes are awesome. What are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah. thank you. Don't you don't need a transmission? No transmission. No, yeah, no electric motor you know, on every wheel. Yeah, or even around the windshield wipers. Like when I remember my first car; it was on the belt, and so you, yeah, yeah it, if the belt goes, nothing works. And in these you don't cars, need electric. Nobody's going to be driving them, Dave. No, you don't need the electric windshield wipers, right? <laughs> that's right. They'll be you don't need the cab. <laughs> well, and I think that to your point, though, one of the things that's really exciting about that EV transformation is not only is it a better, easier machine to work, but like the level of autonomy. And mm-hmm. because they're now running computers, the ability to update them constantly and get new features on the same tractor will be amazing. So instead of getting that next new tractor, there'll be a new software update that learned from the last one. And and not just in like the ability to do the farming, but how the you know performance of the wheels and the ability to turn. And so once that kind of infrastructure in the vehicle's in place, it's constantly getting new updates and getting better and better. And the autonomy piece is not far. And I think particularly for off-road, it's probably closer than we think. Then that whole paradigm shift of like what you described of, Oh, I need the tractor ready to work first thing in the morning. Maybe it's working all night and you know, somewhat autonomously. Mm-hmm. Then, then uh, maybe it stops in enough time to charge up in order to release uh, during peak demand. You know, it just depends on what you need to happen, the amount of jobs to be done. And uh, just, yeah, you just keep thinking down the road here, and it's pretty amazing what the possibilities are. Absolutely. But the big piece here, and I think that's why, you know, back to our kind of energy infrastructure fund, if if that's to happen, then every farm has to really rethink the electricity that's available on at the farm gate. 
because now we're talking about orders of magnitude more electricity than they've consumed before. So in a weird way, we're talking about buying more electricity, not less, and a whole lot more. Right, because you're going to be buying energy as electricity instead of energy as a tanker full of diesel. That's right. So now we've now we've gone with we're we're on the edge of being able to uh, get what we need today, right? And mm-hmm. now we're saying, hey, uh, all of that power that we're consuming in the vehicles is going to double, triple our energy electric consumption. We have to come up with a way to provide that. So that's right. It's that's uh, right. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. We've got some big challenges in front of us, but I think particularly in agriculture, agriculture's got such solutions to play. And so not just in what we traditionally think is growing crops or animal husbandry or the food packing, all the things that go into that agriculture business, but really on the electricity side, agriculture is part of the solution and, and not the not the problem. Right. I, I agree. There's um, you can all you know, things can always be taken either way. And I think if you, you search for the solution, um, farmers, we're, we're an ingenious bunch, right? And then we're looking for ways to do things better all the time. So, uh, I think we're, I think we're up to the challenge. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking a little bit, again, maybe a little bit too far down the road, but, um, you know, I think one of the other benefits we get, and you're mentioning having a kind of on the go smart machine learning, uh, firmware updates, those kind of things. But when we do electrify those vehicles, our ability to control all aspects of that vehicle greatly improves. Absolutely. You know, some, some of the fun things is you, you can, you can really dial in things that you need for any operation, uh, because electricity, uh, just gives you far more control, uh, versus mechanical or hydraulic systems. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. So we, we see the benefit of the autonomous vehicles and the autonomous vehicles are likely going to move towards electric. So we know that end, right. And, and that, that we can see how we get from point A to point B is the, is the big question, right? That's right. Well, and I, you know, and I think one of the things I learned from ag emerge with the last year was where we were hearing a lot of things about how do you have a 10 year plan, you know, whether it's crop rotation or, you know, some of the other uh, ideas that were going around there, but, it required kind of having a plan in the future. And I think the same thing applies to electricity, which is really, I think, somewhat shocking because until really today, the only plan could be, well, we'll buy from the utility at whatever price they're selling. Yes. You said electric plan was shocking. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, if you did that uh, intentionally I, or, or what there. But, uh, I have a dad, so I'm, I'm good talking a safety joke. plan, avoiding <laughs> shock. You're, okay, I'm sorry. I, I just had to interrupt there. I couldn't read this. <laughs> But you're talking about having a 10-year plan for energy. That's right. And so, and that plan involves solar. It involves this, these ideas around how do you make sure you have the behind-the-farm-gate infrastructure to do these interesting things. Because if you don't put that plan together today and start to march towards it, um, the reverse is also true. What your neighbors are up to sometimes keeps you from being able to install these things. Like there may not be grid capacity for you if you're not making plans. And, you know, making sure that as you're doing some of that infrastructure upgrades, you have those thoughts in mind. So pulling that extra wire or making sure that extra box is there today is really critical to being able to be prepared for kind of the resiliency if everything starts to move EV or the prices move really quickly. Or like here in California, where the power may be turned off for days at a time. That's particularly bad if you're in the have the cooler business. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, I, I think that's the interesting part because we, we do talk to farmers a lot about having a 10-year crop plan and they really need to have a, uh, the same horizon on an energy plan and on a uh, technology plan. And um, very, very good point, Dave. I, I appreciate that. We need to think because if all of a sudden we, we don't think ahead and you get to a part where you really need it, you may not be able to get it. Like you said, there isn't grid capacity and you're going to be running a generator 10 out of 30 days a month. That's right. Well, huh. in, the, in the final kind of piece to add to, add to that is the, the amount of infrastructure we're talking about that needs to be available is tremendous. And so, you know, and that's why we've tried to combine that technology with financing. Is it the right thing for the farmer to do to, to invest in energy infrastructure? We think that the better answer is to stay focused on farming and we'll help provide those inputs at a cheaper price. And, you know, kind of from the beginning, make sure we're tying that out to the energy markets so they're keeping that price affordable, but really keeping the farmers, growers, agriculture, broadly speaking, focused on their business mm -hmm. and, and not spending millions of dollars, you know, upgrading the energy at their at the farm gate. Well, to um, you've mentioned a little bit about, you know, coming to Ag Emerge last year and uh, you know, I'm asking for uh, gratuitous uh, compliments here or something. I'm, I'm just <laughs> talk to talk to folks about uh, what you personally took away, what some other people who attended, uh, other people who attended, what they took away um, from it that that caused you maybe think differently or or do something a little bit different as a result of of coming to Ag Emerge last year. Yeah, I, I have to admit, you know, at AgMerge, I didn't really know what to expect, and I'm relatively new to agriculture as a professional business. Um, I think the biggest thing I took away is how big the divide is between what Silicon Valley and the, the kind of venture world that I have worked in on ag tech, how different that is from the Central Valley's agriculture, or, you know, even AgMerge being in Salinas, they're so close together, like physically close, we're only 100 miles apart, but really, I think fundamentally, we're speaking really different languages. And so from AgriMerge, really what I got out of that was understanding how the cycles of growers and farmers think is totally different than the technology and how fast those kind of evolutions are happening and how do we find a way to match them together. So I think that some of the biggest takeaways for me was that I really appreciated that it was not exclusively like ag tech, but really what does this mean for a, for a grower or farmer today in the Valley and how do they make decisions based on all these opportunities and where, where's the best place to make those investments, not just in money, but in kind of education and spending the time to understand how those things work. So I was really found it really fascinating and I'm starting to see this connection is getting stronger and stronger between ag tech technology that's really making an impact and then growers that are looking to, to technology to help grow the business. And so I think we're finding the right answers there. So I, I was really blown away with like the level of sophistication and, and being pretty new to agriculture. I think the thing that I, I still holds with me today is that all of the farmers growers I talk to, I, you know, they have to be experts in everything and kind of how we started the conversation, not just weather and climate patterns, but how, you know, agriculture really is working on an agronomy level and the biology and just that you have to be an expert in all of those things. And they all have to go right for it to be a profitable business, global economics and tariffs. And so I, I think that, yeah, it's just that's such an amazing space that has technology is going to play a real role. 
but technology really needs to be solving real problems and not be solutions in search of a problem. Oh man, that is a that is, your very last sentence there is a real key, and and honestly, that's why uh, we've been working with some startup companies in, in the agricultural space, and we just realized that hey, they're 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 in love with their product, they're in love with you know the engineering side of it, but they they haven't ever gotten into a field or talked to a farmer to find out what is your problems that you need solved. You know, that's and right. it's, and that's frustrating. So uh, <laughs> one of the yeah. one of the main goals of Ag Emerge is not only to help all of our our farmers that we get the opportunity to work with uh, to to keep them up to date and what's emerging trends and things that you need to be ahead of, so that all of a sudden, you know, like you said earlier, uh, I can't install solar because there's no capacity on my end of the grid. You know, kind of the I waited too long to do something. Uh, but we want the farmers to be on the cutting edge of things. But the second thing is we want uh, ag technologists such as yourself to have those valuable in- interactions with our professional farmers so that you could better refine your business model, your go-to-market, your your solution that you're providing so that you have the opportunity to be more successful. Because if we can bring you know, folks like you and many others, that's going to enable farmers to be more successful. So I think... Yeah, Absolutely. like I said, there's so many silos out there. We're really trying to break down the silos between professional farmers and ag tech entrepreneurs. And in addition, throw out, uh, ha- have both those people in the same room and, and throw them in front of um, these thought leaders, you know, where, you know, how often do you see somebody who's a, a doctor focusing on human health and then a, a farmer who's focusing on uh, uh, raising pigs going direct to market or you <laughs> know, someone else that's looking at uh, creating a organic weed control? Um, you know, just they're all from different aspects, but they all have a common theme of of creating us uh, to think in a new way. And uh, I'm looking forward to you uh, speaking to us this year and and uh, uh, helping people think uh, differently and and challenge um, how they've always thought of energy. So I, well, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, and the me too. And I think that 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 ability to convene that you will have and and get those people in the same room talking about the same topics is really what we need more of. And even in energy, we found that we're, we're trying to convene more folks to learn how agriculture and energy are related. And I continue to be surprised about, you know, folks that have worked in this really closely don't even know each other, even in the Valley. And so how do we find, how do we, we're, how we're gonna fix this is making sure we're all speaking the same words and we're getting together on a regular basis. So Agriburge is a great example of that. Well, I, I certainly appreciate the the compliments there, and I'm sure glad you were able to attend last year. Well, do you want to give us a sneak peek into your uh, 17 minute Ag Emerge address or your <laughs> your, your following day uh, one hour um, breakout session? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a little a lot of what we talked about here, but really getting a lot closer to how it works and where the opportunities are, and showing a few case examples of where we've been able to install energy infrastructure for our customers, help them save money. And then the other ancillary benefits is we're hiring local labor and getting people to work on things that they know how to do in community. So, you know, part of it is in that kind of the talk is I, I really want to just help everyone understand exactly what we're talking about with some real world examples. Good, good, good deal. I think sometimes the, the one hour breakout session on the on the hows and what's is is much easier than the 17 minute, how do I, how do I condense all that down in 17 minutes? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Have you, have you thought much about that yet? How annoying that is, Dave? Yeah, I, it's a, it's (laughs) tough. It's tough. And you can tell I'm a talker. So 17 minutes goes fast. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's a great challenge, I think, for all of the, the the speakers 
to to narrow it down to that because I think it really causes us to look at our message and what what's important and what isn't, absolutely, and, uh, and narrow it down. So anyway, sorry to make you do that, but uh, <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I think you you enjoyed listening to everybody else being short and sweet, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, See? no, there you go. So, <laughs> all right. Well, Dave, I'm sure there's many many things that I I should have asked or brought up. Anything that I uh, left out that uh, we should make sure we we have a chance to visit about here today while we're while we're still together. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to just start having the conversation about where you know energy and infrastructure and investment all kind of meet in agriculture. Yeah, the future of energy is going to require a, a tremendous paradigm shift in how we think and approach it. And uh, there's going to be a lot of new demands, different demands, and and shifts in in demand. So Absolutely. it's uh it's 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 out for a wild ride. So where do you think energy production in the future will come from? Will it mostly be, um, you know, solar, uh, wind, something else that's on the horizon? Yeah, I, you know, it, coming from the oil business you know i have always yeah. kind of struggled with that we've seen energy go through these perfect transformations like when we went from burning wood to burning coal to burning um, you know some form of oil i don't think we're going to see that now i think kind of what we were talking before about the dis, you know how heavily distributed it's going to be oil and gas is here for a long time and that we're going to have to learn to do all of those in the best way from the environment at the lowest cost in a way that helps consumers be able to do their business. So I think what we'll see is more and more distributed infrastructure kind of behind the farm gate or behind your home. Mm -hmm. As we move into EVs, I think we'll see the electrification of pretty much everything. So that will, you know, less transportation will be in liquid fuels. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, we'll be better and more efficient at our bigger power plants to make sure that we're kind of meeting those environmental consequences. Uh, and then being able to manage all that at the same time is really a big challenge. But now we kind of have the computing, computing power and the expertise to really get that done. No lack of opportunities, is there? <laughs> no. Well, Dave, I certainly appreciate you joining us today and, and sharing your insights and, and where you see um, the technology of you know, electrification and energy intersecting with farm. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity there to not only be good stewards of the sunlight that we receive to convert into food or fiber that we can use, but also in receiving that sunlight and, and other energy sources to utilize property on the farm and make the most value out of that. So Absolutely. Uh, pretty excited about the future of that. And I appreciate uh, your willingness to come and be a part of Ag Emerge here 2020. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I really appreciate you taking the time with me because I, I, I'm really excited about being in this business. And yeah. I think we're at a point where, like, things are transforming. But it's people like you that really are making it happen. And the Ag Emerge, I have to admit, it was a fabulously put together conference. I appreciate that. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you there in Monterey. Excellent. Me too. Yeah. Take care, Dave. All right. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I was pretty excited about that whole conversation. There's so much that we can glean from the direction that this solar energy concept is going. It's, of course, it's more than a concept. It's being implemented. It's excited that people like Dave see the vision for where things can go. But also, as I sit here and listen to he and Monty converse and bounce off of one another, it's exciting to understand the additional applications that are available. And I think that's part of the collaboration aspect that's so key to Ag Emerge. 
you know, he mentioned that, how collaborating and talking with other growers really helped shape his business. So it helps him, but then it's also going to help farmers, too, because he's developing a product that's better suited for what their needs are. That's so right. That collaboration and, and bouncing off of each other, you know, there's uh, wisdom in the multitude. Absolutely. So. Yeah, so if you're sitting in the tractor listening to this podcast right now and you think, man, there is something here that needs to be done differently, well, come to Aggie Merch because uh, you're very possibly going to be sitting in a room with an entrepreneur or someone who's got their thumb on the throttle of what's happening and you can be an influencer uh, and a direct connection with those people. And so what a great way to make those connections. We're excited that Dave could see that that, that kind of thing was happening at, at Aggie Merge. And so it's just exciting for you to be able to have that real-time influence on what's happening in areas that affect your livelihood and profitability. So, Ag- Agriculture is changing. It's changing rapidly. And it's not a matter of if if it changes good or bad, it's going to happen. So being being on top of that change and being being ready for it and be prepared to help uh, your farm be prosperous long term is the key to sustainability. So uh, we're excited to have Dave there along with many of the other guests. Uh, it'll be a fantastic time to hear from thought leaders, from entrepreneurs, and farmers. And if and if you are any one of those three people, you definitely need to be there to to learn from each other and collaborate and help us uh, move the ag paradigm forward because that's what the farmer needs and we're here to guide that process to make that successful. So yeah. sure thank you for tuning in today and yeah. we look forward to uh, visiting with you on the next Aggie Merge podcast. Absolutely. Don't forget to click on the link to register for Aggie Merge in the podcast. Uh, there will be a link for registration and we're just looking forward to seeing you there. So thanks for joining us today.